Why believe? Why believe? I've always believed. I cannot remember a time where I was not connected in with church and where I cannot remember a time where I had any doubt about the existence of God and that Jesus was somebody real important who had come from God and that I needed to follow him. Why believe? Perhaps for you, you believe because you have considered carefully who Jesus is. You've considered carefully the testimony to Jesus that we have in the Bible and you are somebody who is convinced of the truth of that and so you believe. Why believe? Maybe you're someone here this morning who has had the experience where you have been to the very bottom of life. You have seen what you would describe as the darkest darkness and, 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 and when you got there that there was nothing left but for you to believe. Why believe? It just feels right. I don't need to think about it very much, but it, it feels right. It feels right to be amongst other people who believe. Why believe? I've never really thought about it. I've never really thought about why I believe or even what I believe. Why believe? I'm not sure why I believe and sometimes I really struggle to believe. I waver in and out of belief. I think, I think I believe. Why believe? I don't. You might be here this morning and you are somebody who knows that you do not believe. You know about God, you know there is a Bible, you know something of Jesus. But you know that for yourself, belief is not something that you have. Why believe? Across this year, as a church, we're going to be reading through John's Gospel... And we're going to keep asking this question, why believe? John deliberately wrote his gospel account to help us to answer this question, why believe? And so whatever background or whatever position you're coming at this morning and this year as we look at John's gospel, why believe is the, answer that we're try- is the question that we're trying to answer. This is the question that John would have us deal with. See this verse near the end of John's Gospel? If you're going to highlight any verse in John's Gospel, highlight this one. Even if you don't physically highlight it, you're going to hear it so many times from me and Tim and Brock this year that it'll be highlighted in your brain. John writes near the end of his Gospel, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John gives us the evidence about who Jesus is so that we might believe. He presents the facts to prove who Jesus is and that by believing that Jesus is the Christ, by believing that Jesus is the Messiah, by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, we have life. Now life is a big deal for John. 
when you hear John write about life, when you hear Jesus talk about life in John's Gospel, he means life that is good, life that goes on forever and life that starts now. It is a big deal for John. Life is a big deal for us. A recent episode of Family Feud asked the question, what is something you think about every day? The second highest response was death. Life is a big deal for us. You see, John here is not just floating an idea. John's not writing down what we have here in this Gospel account in the New Testament, not just writing it down to tell us a good story, to add another voice to the blogosphere. We don't need more voices coming at us. More than anyone who has ever lived, we have information overload. Why would we come along on Sunday mornings and have more information coming to us from the Bible? There are 300 hours of video uploaded to YouTube every minute. Why do we need more stuff coming at us? We can get big news from every corner of the world in just a moment. John's not just another YouTube channel in the mix, another voice, another story, another philosophical idea. John wants us to know without a doubt that Jesus' intersection with humanity in the first century is monumental, it's life-giving, it's life-changing news that's to go viral in every age. And just how monumental is obvious in the first chapter starting immediately with the first phrase. Right from this first sentence, John echoes the grand first sentence of the Bible. The Bible starts, In the beginning, God. God created it. John deliberately echoes that. In verse 1, John writes, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. We're immediately struck, struck with the fact that John talks about something here that is cosmic and eternal. The Word. He tells us the Word is with God, the Word is God, and this Word is Creator. Our words can be well-crafted for communication. Our words can be powerful, our words can be inspiring, our words can be creative, our words can, uh, our words can do stuff, our words can be poetic. Our words can be informative, our words can be funny, our words can be hurtful, our words can be crushing. But nothing like what John calls the Word. The Word that John talks about, everything that is true about God, is true about the Word. The Word here that John is talking about, everything that is true about God, is true about the Word. We see here that the Word brings the light of life into the darkness of the world. Verse 4. 
in him, in the word, was life, and that life was the light of men. The word enlightens a dark world to the truth. The light illuminates belief of that truth so that humanity might have life. See verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from John, sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Here in these verses we're introduced uh, to John. Not the author John, uh, the author John, and every time you've heard me say John so far, the author John is John Disciple. Here in verse uh, 6, we're introduced to John Baptist, uh, who is the son of Elizabeth, who is cousin of Mary, Jesus' mother. Okay, so we've got John Disciple, who we actually don't have his name mentioned in John's Gospel. John Disciple, he's the author. And here we have John Baptist. And every time we see John written in John's Gospel, it's talking about John Baptist. Now, the word is so monumental that it has John Baptist going first to prepare for his arrival. In our second reading this morning, down in verse uh, 23, we see this. John, John Baptist, replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptise if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Have you ever seen huge mining equipment being transported on massive trucks and going through towns? I saw a video of one the other day that had four or five uh, trucks out the front and two trucks at the back. But ahead of the truck needs to go another crew that prepares the way to move street signs, to get people out of the way, to make barricades move, perhaps even disconnect power lines. If you're going to move something as monumental as mining equipment through a town, you need to prepare the route. Well, John Baptist, he prepares the world for one that is bigger than him, one is greater than him, the Word. John is to give witness and testimony to the Word. Notice these words, first in verse 7. He came as a witness to testify. Or in verse 8, he came as a witness. Verse 15, John testifies. Verse 19, now this was John's testimony. Verse 32, then John gave this testimony. Verse 34, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. 
John comes preparing the world with witness and testimony for one that is coming after him who is bigger and greater. He's preparing with witness and testimony because the key response to the word is belief. Verse 6, Uh, Verse 7, actually. So that through him, all men might believe. Verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, so far, we might think that this monumental word is lofty and philosophical. John has introduced... John Disciple has introduced the word as cosmic and eternal, something or someone that brings light and life. It can all seem a little bit lofty and philosophical and our existence is not like that. We're so aware of how grounded we are in this physical world. Even if you're somebody who studies intense depth philosophical stuff. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to shut your book and go outside and we immediately are reminded of how physical we are in the world. Our, our eyes will be drawn to something that is beautiful. Our nose loves the smell of coffee, for many of us. We, we feel a cool mist on a hot day. We get hungry. We have sleepless nights that leave us tired. Kids kick toes and break bones. We understand how physical we are. Well, when we come to verse 14, we see that the monumental word meets us right in the midst of grazed knees, tired kids and coffee, headaches. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word is not lofty and philosophical, the word is a person, a person who comes from God and is God. The word has toenails and taste buds, he becomes like us and comes among us, to show us everything of who God is and what we can be. As a TV show called Dirty Jobs, some people in the world have some pretty dirty jobs to do. Some people have some dirty things to do that don't even have anything to do with jobs. Um, parents, We visited a church one Boxing Day and one of my boys uh, during the sermon said, I'm not feeling quite so good. We're in a church that's seated about 50 people and there's about 80 people in it. And uh, one of the boys who remained nameless went out and vomited all over the steps. Uh, There was the church session clerk, a school principal, uh, cleaning it up at the uh, end of the service. Some people have dirty things that they have to do. Uh, When I was a geo-environmental engineer, a big part of our job was finding toxic waste uh, all over the place and cleaning it up. One of the jobs that I had to do every single month was to go up to the central coast, just north of Sydney, 
and uh, Don put on big rubber boots and a, and a, and a rubbery kind of suit and gloves, uh, sometimes a mask to help me breathe and to keep away the smell and had to wade out into this pond that was only about this deep uh, right to the middle to get a, a sample of the fluid, liquid, wouldn't call it water. What was all this stuff in this pond? Uh, well, there was a massive big garbage dump there. And garbage dumps have a lining at the bottom that collects all the soup that comes down and it's pumped over into this other pond. And my job was to collect the samples as the engineer, uh, four years at university to be able to do this, uh, to wade out into the middle of the pond and get a sample uh, of it. It was a dirty, disgusting job, especially when it was 42 or 43 degrees um, and stuff started to come inside your suit. Um, a dirty job. Now the word, the word that comes from God and is God has a dirty job to do. He rolls up his sleeves and he gets into the mess of the world. But you see, if God's light is going to come into the world. If God is going to bring life to us, the witness and the testimony that John talks about, if there is going to be belief, then the Word must become like us and come among us. And if God's grace and glory and truth are to break into the world, which is coming with the Word, we saw that in verse 14, or in verse 17, this, this grace, this truth, this true, this ultimate grace that's to come through Jesus Christ, if that is all to break into the world, then the mess of the world needs to be dealt with. It can't be dealt with from an office in a city some far away. It can't be dealt with by sending a junior labourer. God himself rolls up his sleeves to come into the mess of the world to deal with the mess of the world. See verse 29? Jesus is this word. Jesus is God with toenails and taste buds. And when Jesus rolls up his sleeves and comes into the mess of the world, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now here is what is most monumental about John's Gospel. Here's what is most monumental about this first chapter. Here's what is most monumental about Jesus. It's that Jesus, the one who is the powerful, creative Word, the one who comes from God into the mess of this world, deals with the mess of sin. John Baptist says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and when the sin of the world is taken away, then it is possible to have life. That life that is good, that life that goes on forever, that life that can start now. Now we might expect 
that the powerful creative word might come as a mighty lion or as a dragon or something else, but, but a lamb? There's Old Testament background to a lamb. In the sacrificial system that God had given his Old Testament people, the Israelites, to help them understand how they could have a relationship with him, to help them to understand the cost and offence of sin. He set it up in such a way that when the people sinned, they needed to give up. They needed to make a sacrifice. They needed to give and sacrifice their own valuable, year-old, unblemished lamb. Every single person had to do that again and again and again and again as only a token symbol of the cost of sin and what it would take to restore a relationship of sinners to a holy God. Here we see Jesus is the Lamb who comes from God to deal with the sin of the whole world. John, John wants us to know that Jesus' intersection with humanity in the first century is monumental. It is life-giving. It is life-changing news. I see the effect as Jesus comes along in the rest of the chapter that we, we didn't read together this morning. But first of all, in verse 34, the effect on John Baptist as he encountered Jesus. He says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. That is a monumental thing for somebody to say in the first century. Look at what Andrew says in verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. That is a monumental thing for Andrew to say. Look at the impact on Philip in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Look at the impact on Nathanael in verse 49. Nathanael declared, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And what does Jesus reply to this response? Verse 50, Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. This is a monumental arrival of Jesus into the world to do monumental things where everyone who keeps encountering Jesus believes. You see why John tells us? He writes these things, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Why believe? This is a question that we should not dismiss, a question we should not ignore, a question we need not be afraid of. 
And the question we should not be content with where we're at. My hope and prayer for each one of us this year, including me, that as we read through John's Gospel together this year, that we each take a step further along in knowing why you believe. Wherever you're at right now, I shared a whole bunch of different perspectives at the start. I might not have even picked up the one that you were thinking about. Wherever we might be at, my hope and prayer is that we might take a step further along in knowing why you believe. Now here's a couple of things that you can do to help you along in that, alongside my prayers for you. First of all, read John's Gospel. We're going to read it here on Sundays, but be reading it during the week as well. Read it for yourself again and again. Get very familiar with it. Try and bore yourself with it. I actually don't think that's possible. John's one of those books that the more and more you read it, the more you start to see things that connect up and grow your understanding of who Jesus is. Get very familiar with John because John wants us to see more and more of who Jesus is and that by believing we might have life. At the bottom of your handout today is a reference here to a great resource that will help us read John. It's called The Word One-to-One, Sharing Life, Opening the Bible. Uh, It comes in 11 volumes, uh, little booklets that help us along in reading John's Gospel. You can download them for free from the website that's indicated there and look at them on your iThingy or your uh, Kindle reader or whatever else you use. You can print them out. Uh, There's a website there where you can order them and they can be delivered to you in in 11 printed uh, booklets that you can use. On one side is the the text of John's Gospel and on the other side are some very, very brief comments and things to observe about what's there. You might like to use that. You'll find it very helpful in getting familiar with John's Gospel. We've been using that in our family Bible reading time around the table after dinner a couple of nights a week uh, since the start of summer, knowing that we're going to be looking at John's Gospel this year. Uh, Ask one of our boys or Naomi what they think uh, of it. They'll certainly be honest, that's for sure. Another thing you can do, though, is to reach out to somebody else and read John's Gospel with them. It might be another, another believer, somebody else here at church. Uh, this little booklet that I've just told you about, the word one-to-one, is designed and set up to be reading with somebody else, one-to-one. That, that will help you get familiar with John's Gospel uh, this year. Uh, Tim has been doing that uh, with another Christian. Uh, There's a couple of weeks into reading John with another Christian, one-to-one, using this resource. I'd encourage you, and it's also set up to be used in this way, 
to reach out to someone who's not yet a Christian and introduce them to Jesus in John's Gospel. There's no hard or deep theological questions in the booklet. It's really set up to be reading and making note of a couple of comments along the side. This year, we want to take a step further along in knowing why we believe. And so don't go away from today and this year without being a little bit more convinced of how monumental Jesus is and the life that he brings, life that is good, life that goes on forever and life that starts now. John has written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. 